Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Ministries International. We value the Word of God as an instrument of growth in our lives, using it to mend our ways, align our thinking, and ultimately bring restoration. We trust that you will be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. The title of my message today is Understanding the life of faith understanding the life of faith and in our session today I want us to take a closer look at the life of faith what do I mean by that we're going to look at it from an angle which I have not taught you before I know I have taught on the subject of faith extensively to you But today, we're going to look at it from another angle. And I'm almost convinced that I have not preached this before, and I don't think you have heard a teaching on faith uh, with with the approach that we're going to give to it today. So, what I want you to do is to have a receptive mind, an open mind, And I humbly ask you to have an open heart as the Holy Spirit helps us to understand a little deeper the subject of faith. I say this with with conviction in my heart, that no other principle in the Bible has had such an impact in my walk with the Lord as the principle of faith and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So, we are going to look at faith, the one that the scripture says that the just shall live by faith. How do we live this life of faith in everyday life? And I'm trying, I'm going to try to make it so simple and practical that hopefully we will all understand when Paul writes, the just shall live by faith. How do we live it out? How do we walk it out on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, as we go about our daily work? Now, it is for this, I'm, I'm teaching it tonight from this angle because I believe it is my conviction that many of us in the body of Christ have misconceptions and misunderstandings concerning the subject of faith. Uh, and, and I believe it is, it is evident that many preachers of faith have received a lot of criticism. And I understand some of them have gone off the rails and have taken the subject to the extreme, and any subject you can take from the Bible to the extreme, it becomes, um, it becomes um, unwholesome, if I can put it that way. Now, this angle that we're going to approach today and show you that the life of faith we are called to live by is not a bed of roses. It is a life, I believe, that is filled with self-denial. It is a life of sacrifice. 
and one that is constantly surrendered to the death of the cross so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our mortal bodies. And that's the angle we're going to approach the subject today. For this reason, because of the misunderstandings and misconceptions, I decided to teach on this subject in the hope that I will communicate a clear understanding of how we are to live and walk by faith. Now, no one knew the life of faith better than the Apostle Paul. So we are going to let him talk to us through the scriptures that he was inspired to write on this very subject. We learn from the scriptures, but we also learn from the way he lived his life based on this very principle that we're talking about. But mostly we're going to look at his writings and what he said concerning how to live the kind of life that calls the life of faith. He says, we walk by faith, not by sight. The just shall live by faith. And this is what we're going to be look at. One of my favorite quotes in regards to living by faith is what Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 2 and verse 20. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. You can look at that from your own Bible. We're going to read it from the New King James Version, but I also want to read it from the Amplified Classic Translation. This is what Paul said. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in other words, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Amplified Classic says it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. In him I have shared his crucifixion. It is no longer I who live, but Christ, the Messiah, lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in, by adherence to, and reliance on, and complete trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave up himself for me. Please note what Paul says concerning the life that he lived after his conversion. He says, the life of faith I live, it is born out of death. The life I now live in this body, he says, it is birthed out of death. Notice what he says. I have been crucified with Christ. His very words confirm that. This is a life that is raised out of death. What he means is that when Christ went to the cross, he became our substitute. In other words, what he did, he did it on our behalf. 
That means when Christ died, Paul died with him. And notice, not only Paul, but as well as every other human being that was born from Adam. In the eyes of God, the Adamic race was crucified with Christ, done away with. When Christ went to the cross, he took you with him. He took me with him. And every human being that was born from Adam. Those who accept Christ as Savior and Lord, they also accept his death. This is very important. When you accept Christ, you don't just accept his life, his resurrection life. You accepted his death as well. When you went through the baptism of water, the Bible says we were baptized into his death. You died. The old man died. This is the reason Paul writing to the Roman believers say to them in Romans chapter 6 verse 11, Reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive unto God. We have to reckon ourselves dead to the old nature, to the old self, dead to sin, but we are alive unto God. Now, in his second epistle to the Corinthians, he explains how disciples of Christ should experience both the death and the resurrected life of Christ. And he shows us how that is done. Turn with me, please. This is the, this is the foundation that I want to bring across today. This is the truth, the principle that I want to bring across today in living the life of faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through to 12. Paul writing says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Notice the words, We have this treasure in earthen vessels. And we're going to explain what that treasure is. And then he goes on to say, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Then notice what he says. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Death is working in us, but life in you. So let's break this up and explain it. Paul says the treasure we carry within this earthen vessel. What is that treasure? It is none other 
than the crucified and resurrected life of Christ in the person and power of the Holy Spirit. This is the treasure we have and we carry. Wherever you go, you carry this treasure within you. Amen? Not just in church, but wherever you go, he goes. He has no choice. For the treasure is within our earthen vessels. That's why Paul says, though the outward man perishes, yet the inward man, the treasure, is renewed day by day. Praise God. The real you is getting younger every single day. Though the outward man decays, perishes, wrinkles, gray hair, but the inward one, that's the real man, hallelujah, is renewed day by day by day. We're getting stronger every day. We're getting younger every day in the inward, the treasure within. Now, we have this treasure. But what we do lack, though, is understanding how to walk with what we have. This is, this is where we lack. We don't lack anything except this. Wisdom and understanding how to walk with what we already have. One of the prayers that we should be constantly praying every single day is praying for spiritual understanding. Are you with me? You should pray this prayer every day for you, for your loved ones. Spiritual understanding. This is the prayer Paul was constantly praying for the church of his day. Let's look at his prayer in one of his prayers. Colossians 1, verse 9 through to 11. For this reason, he says, we also, since the day we heard it, in other words, since he heard that they were born again by the Spirit of God, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk, walk the life of faith, walk worthy, walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Notice what He prays for and why He is praying the way He is praying. He is asking God to fill the believers with knowledge, with wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why? So, he says, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, so that you may fully please Him. The Bible says those who walk by faith please God. Amen? And so that you may be fruitful in every good work, worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work, strengthened with all might, unto all patience, with joy and long-suffering. So once again, wisdom and understanding 
of what we do have so that we may live accordingly, according to the will of God, according to the purposes of God. Once we gain the spiritual understanding, the knowledge and the wisdom. Now, from what I have learned so far in this life of faith is first of all, you, mu you must be aware and conscious of what you do have. To be fully aware, to be fully conscious, fully knowledgeable of what you already have. And I'll explain. Knowledge and understanding releases us into the dimension of the supernatural. Without it, we cannot enter the realm of the spirit. We cannot move into the dimension of the supernatural realm. It is wisdom and understanding that gives us access into that realm. And that's why more than any other thing, the devil resists believers from gaining knowledge and spiritual understanding. He will fight you every step of the way. I mean, <clears throat> he would do anything to keep us in the dark in regards to who we are in Christ and what we have been given in Christ Jesus. Now, if we don't know what we have, we will never use it. If you're not aware of what you carry, of what you do already have in Christ, you'll never use it. Let me give you an example. Say someone deposits a large amount of money into your bank account, but you are unaware of it. You don't know about it. Will you be able to use it? Obviously not, because you don't know you have it. You'll never be able to use it. You will never be able to withdraw from that account because you are ignorant of what is in that account. And you will still think and act as though you do not have it. And sad to say, and this is where most believers live today. This is where most, where most believers are. We are unaware of what we possess most of the time. Why? Because we think and we behave as though we are without power, without authority, without ability, without resources, and therefore have nothing to offer to anyone. Are you listening to me? That's why we think this, this poverty mentality. I'm not worthy. I don't have anything of value to give. Who am I? I don't have any education. I don't have any money. I don't have any this. And we go on and on and on and on about things that we don't have. Yet all the time, the Bible says, all things are yours. The Apostle Paul says, as poor, yet making many rich. As sorrowful, yet many, we make many people rejoice. When you don't know what you have, you will continue to behave, to speak, and to think as though you don't have it. Are you with me? And this mindset 
keeps us in the prisons of our own making. That's why I say that the most precious commodities are not natural things. They are spiritual things. It's wisdom, it's knowledge, it's understanding. You see, the mindset of poverty thinks this way. It keeps us in the prison of weakness. I'm not able. I don't have. And we go on and on and on. And when, when a person does not think that he has any value, he's always seeking to get something so that he can add value to his life. If you don't think you have anything of value, you will always be looking to get something in order to add that value to your life. And this is the reason many people tend to give into materialism because they think that the more things they have, the more value they will add to their lives. Are you with me? Bigger car, bigger this, bigger that. Why? Because they don't think they have any value outside of those things. Hello, it's time we renew our minds. The Bible says we have this treasure, this unspeakable treasure of wisdom and knowledge is in us, not outside of us. God has made us rich in every way. Are you with me? He said to the Corinthians, Paul writing to the Corinthians, this Corinthians that they were so immature and divisive. He says, all things are yours. You come behind in no gift because God has enriched you in every spiritual gift. Hello. We need to be aware of what we do have. God speaking through Jeremiah. This is why I say that the, the, the real treasures are spiritual. God speaking through Jeremiah said in the old covenant that he would give his people shepherds after his own heart. What would those shepherds do? He says that they would feed you with what? With knowledge and understanding. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 15. The true marks of a good shepherd is one who feeds those whom God has given him with knowledge, with wisdom, and with understanding, spiritual understanding. You with me? Praise God. Can I see those photos that I see? Can I see you raising your hand, sometimes waving, sometimes smiling, so that I know I'm, taking, I'm, I'm talking to live people, not the ones who are asleep? Please don't go to sleep on me. Thank you. Now, they will feed you, he says, with knowledge and understanding. When we fully know and understand who we are in Christ, what we possess in him, we are empowered to live in a way that is pleasing to our Heavenly Father. We will, we will always be looking for opportunities to give in to and to bless others more than looking to get. You with me? We're not looking to get, we're looking for opportunities to give in to, to bless people, to encourage them, to bless them in every way. 
If they need help, we help them. If they need encouragement, we encourage them. Why? Because we have been enriched with this treasure that lives within us. Jesus never turned anybody away. When they came to him, he fed them. He healed them. He blessed them. He encouraged them. He taught them. Amen? Praise God. So, being aware and conscious of the life of Christ within and the unspeakable treasures we have in Him inspires us both in word and in deed. Amen? So, when we line up our beliefs, our thoughts, our words, our actions with the truth of the Word of God, the life of Christ that is within us is released to the people around us. And they, and they are blessed and they are encouraged and they are helped. Amen. We're not looking to be encouraged. We are the encouragers. Amen. Praise the Lord. In doing so, what we just read, the Word of God says, we experience death in our mortal flesh, but we also experience the life of Jesus. Let's look at this, the operation of this exercise once again so that we can understand how this works. Look at it again. 2 Corinthians 4. I want you to study these verses. Meditate on them. Let God by His Spirit show you and bring you into another reality of truth. He says, Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. Notice the word always. Always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. Why? So that the life of Jesus in us also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Paul is describing here a continual dying to self so that the resurrected life of Christ may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Death, he says, is working in us so that life may be imparted to you. And let me say this, we can only impart true spiritual life to others only as we experience death or the dying of the Lord Jesus in our mortal flesh. Amen? No one can impart life to others unless he experiences death. The greater the death he experiences, the greater the life he imparts to others. I'm talking about dying to self, dying to our fleshly uh, nature, crucifying it. That's when the life of Christ is released. This is the life of faith, folks. Are you with me? What we see here and what Paul is, is, is explaining to us is a divine exchange. Our life is given up to death in order for the life of Jesus to be seen, to be manifested, to be released through us. Our will is given up 
for the will of God. Our thoughts for Christ's thoughts. Our dreams for God's dreams. Our preferences given to the cross for Christ's preferences. And our Lord Jesus communicated the same principle that I'm sharing with you in John's Gospel, chapter 12. Look at verse 24 and 25. He's saying the same thing in other words. But he's saying exactly what Paul is saying. And Paul is saying what Jesus has already communicated to his disciples. He said, most assuredly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. It's the same principle. We were born in the flesh and destined to die so that we can live by the power of the Spirit. So in dying to myself, I give life to many. Amen? Listen, this is the gate we must all go through if we desire to bear much fruit for the kingdom of God, regardless of our vocation in life, whether you are a preacher, a pastor, a businessman, an ordinary housewife, whoever you are in whatever vocation in life you, 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 you walk in, this is the gate that we must go through if we desire to bear much fruit for the kingdom of God and to impart life to others. That's why Jesus said, straight is the gate, narrow is the way, and few will find it. Why? Because few are willing to surrender themselves to the cross of Christ, to surrender themselves to death so that Christ may be released and may live his life through the mortal flesh. Amen. Notice what Paul said. Always caring about in the body or in the flesh the dying of the Lord Jesus. And this is not something, folks, that we experience once a while. This is the way we should live from day to day. This is what the life of faith is all about. That's why I say to you, I'm going to teach you faith from another angle. We're going to approach it from this. This is the true life of faith that the New Testament speaks of. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31, the Amplified Classic says, Paul is speaking, and he says, I assure you by the pride which I have in you, in your fellowship and union with Christ Jesus our Lord, that I die daily. I face death every day and die to self. This is a daily walk. This is what Jesus said. If you desire to come after me, this is the first thing you do. Take up your cross. What does the cross symbolize? Death. And follow me. The life of faith is a life of self-denial. It is a daily giving up our rights, daily giving up our thoughts, our privileges, our comforts, our preferences, our will, in order to impart life to others. Simply put, in 
in a nutshell. The life of faith is the life of Christ manifested in our mortal bodies. Are you with me? You need to write that statement down. The life of faith is none other than the life of the Christ within manifested in our mortal bodies. That's the life of faith. We live not for ourselves, but for the benefit of others. Are you with me? We live not for ourselves, but for the benefit of others. And this is the standard by which we should live as true disciples of Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.15. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. He died for all. That's Christ that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. That says it all. That says it all. This is, this is the life of a disciple. He died for all. He died for me. He died for you. So that those of us who live in this body, who are alive in the flesh, should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again for us. Now, here is the difficult part. How do we measure up to this standard of living? Where are we? Are we living for Christ from day to day? Or are we living for ourselves? Is the Lord Jesus Christ, is he the Lord of our lives? Or is he just our Savior? Heavy questions. Who are we living for? For him? For others, Paul says, I am torn between two. I have a desire to depart and be with the Lord, which is far better, he says. But if I go, then I won't be able to minister to you, so I have chosen to stay. That's why he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For the true believer, for the disciple of Christ, death is gain, it's not loss. That's why we should celebrate the life that was lived for Christ. No weeping, no crying. Just celebrate a life that was lived for Christ and for others. Amen. You see, <clears throat> we live in a society today of consumers rather than contributors. The culture that permeates our society and our world, and by and large, the modern church today, is no different. Many will shop for churches, for example, where they are most comfortable in. Churches that require no accountability from their members. Is that true? 
That's what the multitudes do. Why are you going to that church? Oh, there's good music, Pastor. There's a lot of young people there. I can have fellowship because I'm young. I need, I need young people to fellowship with. If that's the reason you're going there and you're not asking the Lord to guide you to the church that He has ordained for you to be in because He has a purpose for you in that church, then Jesus is not your Lord. You are. You making decisions because it's comfortable there. Hello? Soft preaching, not hard preaching. Amen. No true shepherding, no true discipleship, no responsibility. Are you with me? I pray that none of you are like that. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Praise God. <clears throat> I know some of you, even though you live far away, you were trained in, the, in our local church. You, you were imparted to, you were, you were ministered to the Word of God. There were things that you received from us. And even though you thousands of miles away, you prayed, you sought the Lord, and God said, no, stay with His family. It's uncomfortable. It's not popular. Amen? There's a lot of things which you don't have. But why? Because the Lord has placed you where He wanted you to be. The Bible says God chooses. He sets the members in the body. Not you, not me, not anybody else. What if the Lord wants you to join a struggling church so that you can help and support and give life into that small church? And if you are not there, the church will die. Hello? Amen? Yeah, this is, this is the modern way of thinking now of believers. We go where it's comfortable. We go where we can get the best, where there's a good music, where there's a good Sunday school, and on and on and on and on we go. They don't even stop and ask the Lord, Lord, where do you want me to be planted into? Where is my spiritual family? Who is my pastor? Who is the one whom you sent to shepherd me, to disciple me? Who cares enough to discipline me and correct me if I need correction? You're not going to grow unless you have those things that are important. And let me ask you this, will you, will you receive a shepherd that cares enough to hold you accountable? Many won't, they won't. So you mind your own business. They come and tell you what they're going to do, but they never ask you to pray with them, to confirm with them. I told the pastor, what did you tell him? I told him what I'm going to do. Well, Amen. Will you receive one that brings you truth every time he preaches, every time he teaches? There is truth that comes. Your heart is convicted. Your heart is arrested. Perhaps you live in a state of compromise. And when he preaches, he brings you to your knees inwardly as a result of conviction because of the compromise. 
That's how you're going to grow. And true disciples of the Lord want to be accountable. And they welcome correction when necessary. Today, sometimes we have to walk on eggshells around some people. Because they get offended so easily. Oh no, don't say that. Don't do that. They're going to get hurt. Poor old me. Hello? Amen? I've had situations time and time and time again. They can't take any correction, any reproof. Yet Paul, writing to Timothy, he says to him, first of all, he says, reprove, rebuke, correct, exhort, and then encourage. We will receive encouragement, but we won't receive a rebuke. Why? I'll tell you why. Because we have not embraced the cross of Christ. Our flesh is so much alive. Self is ruling rather than the Christ within. That's why. Now, believers who reject the cross of Christ become easily offended. Pride. They are divisive, selfish, complainers, and unthankful. And Paul warns us time and time again, he warns us against such who reject the cross of Christ. You know what he calls them? He says they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. You ever read that in your New Testament? It's written here, right here. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul writing to the Philippians, he says, Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. I asked the Lord this morning. I said, Lord, he says, join in following my example. Have me as a pattern. Now, remember, Paul was far away from those he wrote to. He didn't see them every day. He didn't see them once a month. How could they follow his example? It was the life that he lived. He stayed with them for months. They observed his life. In another case, he sent Timothy. He says, look at Timothy. When you see Timothy, you see me. That's what I teach. This is the way I live. Amen? And now he goes on to say, for many walk. Notice the word many. Jesus used that word also many times. He says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Many will walk through the, through the, the wide road, the, 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 the wide gate. Many of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is the belly, and whose glory is in the shame, who set their minds on earthly things. Here's the question. Who are the enemies of the cross of Christ? How can you recognize them? And he gives us three marks of identification. Here they are. He says, the enemies of the, of the cross of Christ are those whose God is their belly. Number one. Number two, whose glory is in the shame. And number three, their minds are set on earthly things. In other words, they are self-centered and selfish, 
all they care about is their own belly or themselves. They glory in things which are shameful and they are earthbound. In other words, they cannot think beyond earthly things. Those are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, if we desire to please the Lord, bear much fruit as disciples of Christ, then listen carefully. We must return to the cross of Christ. Paul sums it all up in Galatians chapter 6, verse 14. He says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And what Paul is telling us here is that the cross of Christ not only separated Paul from the spirit of this age, but also delivered him from the tyranny of self. The cross of Christ. Amen. Embracing the cross of Christ and living by the principle of self-denial is what the life of faith is all about. Would you agree with that statement? Amen. You see, the life of Christ, the treasure within us, separates us from the world and elevates us to a higher dimension of living, of loving, and of giving. So, let us therefore get acquainted with this treasure within this earthen vessel. Get to intimately know, understand, familiarize ourselves with his language, his mind, his passion, and his purpose. Praise God. And let us not be dictated to by the outward circumstances. Amen. But by the one who lives within us. Let us not bow down to the intimidating tactics of the evil one in whatever form they may come, but bow to the one who is alive within us because he is greater than all. Praise God. Oops, my time is up. I'm going to read this last statement and then we're going to pray. Tradition says that when Peter, the apostle Peter, when he faced his own crucifixion, these were his last words, and I quote, O cross most welcome and longed for, with a willing mind, joyfully and desirely I come to you, being the scholar of him who did hang on you, because I have always been your lover and yearn to embrace you. And he would not allow them to crucify them, to crucify him the way the Lord was crucified. They cruci he asked to be crucified upside down. That was his last words. But notice the words he used when he faced death. Amen. I have three prayer requests and I want us to pray. I'm not going to pray. You are going to pray. Number one, we're going to ask the Lord according to Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, for knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. According to Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, the scripture that we just read. Second prayer request, we're going to ask the Lord to release sound doctrine within His church according to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 and 4. 
for notice what Paul says to Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. Why? For the time will come, he says, when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers that they will turn the ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Pray that sound doctrine may be released from every pulpit within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sound doctrine. And finally, ask the Lord to raise up from within our family disciple makers. People who have the courage to take what they've been taught, find other faithful people, and communicate to them what they've learned. Disciple makers. Amen. Jesus said, and I quote Matthew 9, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Are you willing to become a disciple maker? First, you start with your family. Disciple your children. Teach them the word of God. Teach them how to live by faith. Then move outward. Amen? So let us pray. I'm going to close in prayer my sermon. And then those three prayer requests, we, I'm, I'm handing over those requests to you to pray as we come together. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for truth, dear Lord. And I pray that we will have the courage to face the truth and be changed by it. And I decree and declare by faith that the words that have gone out of my mouth today, which are your words, will not return unto you void, but will accomplish that which you please and it will prosper in the thing which you send it to. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For additional resources or more information about this ministry, come and visit us at alphaomegaint.org.za.